On R2C2, CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco guide listeners through everything going on in the MLB, NBA, and NFL. They also talk to friends, athletes, and celebrities about the world of sports and much more. Check out R2C2 with CC Sabathia and Ryan Rucco on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. It's New York, New York, presented by FanDuel. Take a shot at betting the NBA with FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Parlay Hub, filter by odds, sport, and bet type to easily find the most popular parlays and same-game parlays all on one page. Plus, start betting on the Explore page and the Pulse and bet live same-game parlays for every NBA game. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming. Please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 plus and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 100 Gambler or visit rg-help.com. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Coming up on New York, New York, we recap a Wild Isles Game 6 and my first ever trip to the Coliseum and the Yankees renewing acquaintances with the Red Sox. We have Mike Carver. We have Lou Merloni. We got a ton of voicemails. New York, New York. Presented by FanDuel Sportsbook. It's coming up next. All righty, let's roll, baby. Welcome in. Friday edition of New York, New York. Weekend edition. Of New York, New York, with you is truly J.J. John Jastrzemski. We're right here on the Ringer Podcast Network. And I got to be honest, folks. Last night was quite an experience. I am now 24 hours removed from my maiden voyage to the Nassau Coliseum. And for any of the diehard Islander fans out there, for the great Mike Carver, who's going to join us later on, for Sean of Long Island, for the great Joe Alosio. I mean, there are many of you out there. Chris Dodonna, the, the list goes on and on. I hope that I am allowed back. I think it is fair to say I should be allowed back after what was an incredible, thrilling, insane hockey game, environment, experience, you name it. Against that Tampa team, down two to nothing, after the Islanders... Fail to score on a five-on-three. There weren't a whole lot of folks in Nassau Coliseum thinking the Islanders were going to win the game. They showed incredible guts. They showed incredible toughness. They found a way to tie the baby up. 
And then they score a goal basically seconds into overtime, which set off a frenzy, a frenzy at the old barn. Now, I'm all for the beer getting thrown up in the air. It's like the old school Yankee Stadium. I think that's awesome. The beer cans that were flying my way that were basically inches from my head, those weren't so cool. That was not exactly an overwhelmingly you know, positive experience. But I got to say, for anybody wondering how my first trip to the Coliseum was, here's the best way I could describe it. Listen, we all know the building is a dump. There's a reason why the Islanders are getting themselves a new building in Belmont, which is going to be badass, which is going to be state-of-the-art, which is going to be top-notch. But the crowd, the intimacy of the building, and just the passionate, knowledgeable, dialed-in Islander fans, they all knew the chants, they all knew the songs, they all had like a rhythm and a pattern about them, was really cool to experience. I had a great, great time at the game. Like, I Justin set it up. I mean, I have never in a million years sat that close at a hockey game. You know, I've had courtside seats in the NBA. I've had seats behind home plate and behind the dugout in Major League Baseball. I've sat at the 50-yard line for an NFL game. I have never been that close to the ice because I don't go to a whole lot of hockey games, full disclosure. It is amazing to watch the size, the speed, the skill of these guys. Like I was saying to somebody sitting next to me, you couldn't pay me $50,000 to get slammed through those boards like that. I don't think I would make it. I think I'd be in 10 zillion different pieces. So watching that from that vantage point was kind of holy moly absurd. But this Islander team has the right vibe, has the right makeup, and has the right juju to go to Tampa against the defending champs and win a Game 7 in their building. I absolutely believe the Islanders are alive because they have a lot of factors on their side in this particular playoff run. They got smoked in Game 5. The way they got off the mat, down 2-0, not a lot of teams do that. You throw in the wrinkle of this being the last year at the Nassau Coliseum, maybe I'm wrong on this. Maybe this is a wrong hunch. Maybe this is a wrong feel. I don't get the sense the Islanders played their last game in that building. All the pressure in the world is on the Lightning. We have no idea if their best player, one of their best players in Kucherov is going to be on the ice. A lot of intangible factors on the side of Barry Trotz's boys. Barry Trotz has coached in plenty of these games over the years. The Islanders will be ready to play. And I hope I could be finding my way back for the Stanley Cup Final. And it was a star-studded crowd out there, let me tell you, from the great Stu Finer who I ran into Kevin Love was out there. I'm sitting right next to Damian Woody, who's this diehard Islander fan as you're going to find. You know, it wasn't exactly the celebrity row with a Nick game. But all in all, it was a great experience and a great time. And I ran into a lot of listeners. You guys show me all sorts of love. The tailgate was incredible after the game. The Yes Men people did a fabulous, fabulous job. So hats off to everybody at Nassau Coliseum, unless you were one of those jackasses throwing beer cans on the ice. If you were doing that, you got to know better. Everybody else? Salute to the cap. Tip of the cap. So we got a game seven and the biggest game the Islanders have played in in quite a while on Friday night. We got that going on this weekend. And guess what else we have going on this weekend? The Yankees and the Red Sox and a rivalry renewed. And I think it is fair to say, despite my skepticism and despite my 
criticism of what I've seen from this Yankee team over the first two and a half months of this year. The Yankees are starting to find a little bit of juju themselves. I don't know if it's the return of Luke Voigt. I don't know if it's the resurgence of Gary Sanchez. I don't know if it's DJ LeMayu rounding in a form. But the Yankees look like and feel like a much different offensive team than the one we saw about three and a half weeks ago when they took on the Red Sox. The Yankees are now scoring runs. To me, Luke Voigt's presence in the lineup does a whole lot in changing the vibe and the feel. Not just the energy that Voigt provides, which I think is infectious, but legitimate power. He's got legitimate pop. Now, I could do without Luke Voigt putting his hands up in the air when he's hitting balls that are flyouts. I think he's got to work on that. I think he even said after the game, I got to make sure I hit the gym or something so that when I put up my hand, that baby is leaving the yard. Voigt has given him a spark, but I can't say enough good things about the resurgence of Gary Sanchez and what he has provided the Yankees. And we've been all over this now for the last couple of weeks. Gary Sanchez, benched in May, lost his everyday catching gig. You thought there was much more of a likelihood in the middle of July, back in May, that Gary Sanchez would be designated for assignment or traded as opposed to the idea of Gary Sanchez being a 2021 All-Star. But if you look at the numbers for Sanchez, they are eye-popping. They are off the charts in the month of June. Sanchez bailed the Yankees out last night. I went back, I DVR'd the Yankee game after I returned from the Nassau Coliseum. That was going to be a hideous loss for the Yankees. Chapman walking Carlos Santana when he didn't want to. Boone having the conference, then basically changing his mind after the conference and the Yankees give up the lead. Chapman threw a hissy fit in the dugout. I would have done the same thing. If we reach a general consensus where... You know, we say we're going to do one thing, and then all of a sudden my manager, when he walks back, says, nah, the hell with that. I'm going to do something else. I'd be like, dude, what's going on here? What the hell? That was the Chapman reaction. That was going to be a hideous loss. It's the sort of loss you can't have with where they're at and trying to make up ground. So to be down one in the ninth inning, Sanchez, boom, home run to tie the game. That was one of the biggest hits the Yankees have had all season. I don't think I'm exaggerating by saying this. One of the biggest hits they've had all year. Then Voigt walks it off. And then in an afternoon game, everybody's swinging it great. Judge, who's been in a funk, hits a home run. Voigt hits a home run. Sanchez puts the game out of reach with a three-run homer. The Yankees are scoring runs. This, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, is the lineup and is the team that I thought I was seeing back in April at the start of this year. Now it's time to prove that against the Red Sox, who have all sorts of pitching issues going into this series. And my mandate for the Yankees is simple. Go up to Fenway, get a little revenge. Go take two out of three. I don't need a sweep. It'd be great. I'm a little concerned about Evaldi going on Saturday because the Yankees, if you look historically, they never hit Nathan Evaldi. But the Yankees have their three best pitchers lined up for this particular series. Herman, Montgomery, and Garrett Cole. 
This is an opportunity to go and gain ground in the American League East. The wild card, you name it. Go into out of three. Juicy, fun little weekend we have in store, New York sports fans. Islanders playing a game seven. Yankees and the Red Sox with a whole lot on the line in the American League East. We're even going to get to the Mets. We'll have a big series of their own coming up against the Philadelphia Phillies. We got a loaded show. Voicemails galore. We'll have Lou Merloni, former Boston Red Sox. Lou Merloni, WEI radio host. Get a sense for what's going on up in Boston. He'll join us in a little bit. But before we get to Mike Carver, who was with me last night at the Nassau Coliseum, at the Old Barn, let's get a call right out of the gate. Saruti, hit it, baby. John, it's Gabe from Queens. And what a strange night. I mean, it's amazing how, to me, I'm watching the Yankee game. I'm flipping between the Islanders and the Yankees. And it's almost like mirror games. They follow the same thread. The Yankees have this crazy walk-off. I'm going crazy. Gary Sanchez unstoppable. And then the Islanders with really the gutsiest win I've seen in a hockey game in a while. So it's just amazing how it happens. I just want to make one point on the Yankees. I'm watching Kyle Schwarber just go off right now for the Nationals. And I just, I don't understand how we miss on him considering his price. And just how hot he is, and knowing the Yankees really were interested in him for a long time, I just I'm trying to think who the missing piece of the Yankees in is right now, and to me it's got to be a lefty, a lefty bat um, who can play the field. So, love the pods. Speak to you, Gabe. It was a wild night. I was glad I was able to experience the conference final in person, and I'm glad that I was able to go back and rewatch the Yankee game on DVR. It was definitely worth my while. One of the most significant wins of the year. It was a crazy turnaround in the hockey game, you're right. And for the Yankees, they took what would have been a nightmarish loss and they turned it into a really, really good win. As far as Schwarber, I was intrigued by Schwarber. The problem the Yankees ran into, where were you going to play him? Because he's not a great defensive outfielder. And the Yankees were committed to Clint Frazier at the start of the season. The Yankees could do it again. Would they like to have Kyle Schwarber on their team? 1,000%. Who knows, maybe he becomes available at the deadline. It's possible. But I think the greater need for the Yankees, yes, they need left-handed bats. Schwarber's having a fabulous year. They need athletes too. So somebody like Cattell Marte is a better fit. And Brett Gardner playing every day in center field just cannot continue to be the case. Yankees need somebody who can play the outfield specifically, who can play center field. And if I were making a choice on who that particular guy might be, I'd prefer that they're left-handed. Loaded show. We set you up better for the weekend from a New York standpoint than anybody. I mean, that's not me tooting my own horn. That's just reality. So we're setting the stage for the weekend. Good vibes. Hopefully a late Friday happy hour for you. All that good stuff. Mike Carver, the voice of the Isle fan. No bigger Islander fan. No bigger voice of the Isle fan nation. He's going to set the stage for Game 7. Right after this. This episode is brought to you by cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, view its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. Well, game six. Nassau Coliseum, Eastern Conference Finals. That is the night I am never going to forget. And 
I promised that I would make it at some point out to the old barn for a playoff game. And it lived up to the billing and then some. So I had to have the voice of the Isle fan, the voice of Isle Nation, the guy I happened to be sitting next to through the three plus periods of this game, the great Mike Carver from ILC Podcast and Sports Grid. Bro, 24 hours later, how you hanging? Today was a little rough. I'm not going to lie to you at all. Um, it was uh, quite the night at the old barn over there on Hempstead Turnpike. I mean, geez, the first game you've ever been to there. You picked a good one, pal. Let me tell you. I know. Well, and this um, is where I'm going to start. This yeah. is where I want to start with you because you've been there now for forever. Now, you didn't get a chance to experience the late 70s and the early 80s. Yeah, But course. you've been going to Islander games your entire life. Yep. Would you put that game last night atop the list of the most fun and entertaining Islander games you've ever attended in person. It is without, I thought about this a lot today. Somebody actually asked me this earlier. I did a spot in Carolina uh, earlier this afternoon um, and they asked me and I hadn't really thought about it, but now that I've thought about it the entire day, I think it's number one for me. Wow. How about that? Because, because you got to remember something, JJ, let's, let's think about, there's not a lot of candidates to be fair for, for the 40 and under Islander fan. There is not a lot of candidates that can top last night. There really isn't. Now, the older Islander fan, absolutely. Uh, you talk about moments in that building, winning the first cup on the Nystrom goal. You go, you know, you go on and on. But this is bigger than anything they did in 93. This is bigger than, and, and a lot of people love 2001. They lost that first round series to Toronto despite huge moments. I mean, the Sean Bates game with the penalty shot is still a top five Coliseum moment for me. You've got the Tavares game. You've got, uh, you know, they've won a couple of other series now here over the last couple of years. This run itself, closing out Pittsburgh and Boston in game sixes at home. That game last night, when you put everything together and you tie in the significance of the game, this is it, man. I mean, there was a game six that forces a game seven in what is technically the Eastern Conference Final. I mean, this is it. The semifinals to get to the Stanley Cup Final. It is not a bigger moment than that. The game itself and the twists and the turns of the game, Isles get down 2 nothing. I was sitting next to you. I told you what I thought the turning point of the game was going to be. When well, they when didn't, they didn't score on that 5-on-3, five five three, we thought and, they were cooked, yeah. bro. We, and and then, they don't score. Tampa yeah. comes down, scores yeah. the second goal. Yeah. I think I said to you, I was like, bro, they got to get one here yeah. by the end of the second period. Right. Getting that first goal and getting on the board, at least gave the crowd and the team a little bit of life going into it the third did. period. The, the Eberle goal was enormous because it, it, it lifted the morale. It would have been so much different around that place during the second intermission if it was 2 nothing instead of 2-1. And getting it to 2-1 allowed the people to build. And you got to remember, that also broke, J.J., 12 goals in a row in this series by Tampa. The two in Game 4 to end in the third period. The eight on Monday night in Game 5. And then the first two goals of Game 6. They scored 12 straight goals in this series. So that Eberle goal really broke a lot of walls. It kept them in that game, and it broke that 12-goal string. And it allowed them to have that little bit of momentum in the crowd as they started the third period. And for the life of me, Mikey, you know, overtime in hockey can go like one or two ways where you're playing <laughs> for like 10 hours. There's, there's no Or it literally can end at the snap there's, of a finger. 
That game literally ended. It's like, for the life of me, I can't even process it. It was like, holy shit, that just happened. They just scored a goal within seconds. And, and for some reason, JJ, this has been bizarre. This entire playoffs, not just the Islanders. I'm talking about the Stanley Cup playoffs for every team. All of these overtime games have been ending in under two minutes. There is just a really weird, I don't have the number in front of me. Somebody tweeted it today. There, I think it's been six or seven games in overtime that have ended with, with less than two minutes into it. And a, another one last night with Bavillier scoring a minute eight into the overtime. And man, uh, you're right. Sometimes you can sit there for hours and, and the pins and needles. And some nights you have that where it is over fast. And if it ends your way and it's over that quick, God, the celebrating just, uh, it just does not stop. <laughs> well, we go from the euphoria of game six and now we turn the page, and it's win or go home for both teams. Yeah. A game seven against the reigning Stanley Cup champs. And you and I were having this conversation as we were leaving the barn and going to the tailgate right after the ball game or the, the, the game. My ball game doesn't exactly work in <laughs> hockey, but you get my point. Yeah. You said this to me, and I agree 1,000%. All the pressure in the world is oh. on Tampa Bay tomorrow. The Islanders should not be a tight team in this game. They won mm. game six. They showed pride after the embarrassment of Game 5. Mike, I would get the sense no matter what happens in Game 7, it should be a very loosey-goosey Islander group. Would you agree with that? 100%. Um, I, I think it's going to be a very loose group Friday night in Tampa. And, and here's the other thing, JJ, that's really going to factor in here. The Islanders have played a bunch of these games now over the last two years. They've had their backs against the wall in a couple of spots. They played a game seven in the bubble against the Philadelphia Flyers. They won an elimination game down three, one to this lightning team before they lost a game six last year. They're used to the pressure situation and trots is so good at it. And he's so good with this team that he is going to 1000% JJ walk into that room tomorrow night. And he's going to look at them and go, boys, nobody expects you to be here as always. They're the favorites again. It's all on them. They're the defending cup champs in their building. You guys just go out and do your thing. And they are. And this team is so veteran-laden and so used to the moment now that they're not going to have any problem. This is not some out-of-nowhere team making a run, this fantasy run that they're not used to a spot like this. The Islanders now over the last two or three years have had enough big games where they're going to be ready for this spot, JJ. Kucherov, not that you're a doctor, yeah. goes down in game six. Game seven, I mean, I got to assume if he could skate in any capacity, he's going to play, right? I'm hearing differently. I mean, really? Now, okay, so it's serious enough an injury where he cannot be out there. Okay, there is, I did not there know is, that. There is nothing official as of Thursday night from the team. Tampa, of course, and you know the NHL with injuries, they're never going to tell you anything that's going on. The whispers around on Thursday, JJ, is broken rib. Now, that's whispers. Nobody... Once again, nobody's a doctor. Nobody knows where this stuff comes from. He took a shot, a cross check uh, in right his backside. Right in front of us, right by the way. Of might us. I yes. And you, you know what's funny? It looked like a hard hit. <laughs> but when you sit that close, Mike, we're up close on the glass. I feel like all those hits that we were seeing last night were hard hits. Holy now, there's a, here's the interesting thing about all this Kucherov stuff. And Arthur Staple, who covers the Islanders for The Athletic, made this point on Thursday. And I think he's 100% right about it. Kucherov has a tendency, JJ, to dive a little bit, and he did that a lot early in the series. That that should have been a penalty on Mayfield. I mean, he he two-handed him 
right in the back. It should not have been, you know, suspension worthy or fine worthy. It should have been a standard two minute cross checking penalty. And it's possible because of the way that Kucherov plays and the way that he likes to go on the ice rather quickly. First minute of the game, second minute of the game, the refs see him go down that easily. That probably helped put the whistle away. So Kucherov has a little bit to blame himself. And Kucherov also, JJ, he had it coming to him also. Because last year in the bubble, he had a real dirty play. In one of the games the Islanders won, J.G. Pajot was going to put the empty netter in. And Kucherov two-handed him over the wrist. A real dirty shot. So I don't want to hear anybody crying about Kucherov. He deserves whatever he gets if he doesn't play on Friday night. Okay. You like the Islanders to win this series? Yes. After game five, it did not look great. They respond in a big way, and now it's a game seven. Let's revisit a conversation we had at the start of this series, Mike. Now as we go into game seven, give me the key factor and give me one individual X factor. If the Islanders are pulling this off and we're going back to the barn at some point next week or the following week, what would that X factor be? There is a guy who has done nothing in this series who we talked about at the start of it and how he has been their ace in elimination games, and that is Brock Nelson. He has, he has the most goals in elimination games in the entire NHL in the last five years. He's done nothing in this Tampa Bay series. They need, J.J., a big performance from Brock Nelson on Friday night, and if they get that, that is going to be a huge X factor for the New York Islanders. And it, and you know what? And it always comes down to this too. A game seven, JJ, your goalie has to be sharp. You cannot allow any cheapies. You can't have cheapies. I'm sorry. I mean, you, and now Varley's been great for the Islanders. He's been outstanding. He's had a tendency in the past, Pittsburgh series, Boston series, where sometimes there is a cheapie. In a game seven, you can't have cheapies. Your goalie needs to be absolute ice out there in these games. So they need a big effort from Varley, and they need Brock Nelson to have his first big game of this Tampa series. The Islanders get both of those, they're going to win. I do think they're going to win the game, JJ. There's also, we there's something going on here. It's just the way You're that this... You're feeling the juju, I can sense it. There's a lot of juju here with the Islanders in this run. So many stars are kind of aligning for them that I just feel somehow, some way... They're going to find a way to do this on on Friday night. Now, I'll give you a couple other things. It's hard to take these numbers and these things that have happened in the past because it's a new team and new new situations. But Vasilevsky, the Tampa goalie, 0-2 in his career in Game 7s. Okay, so the Tampa goalie, who's the best in the league, he's outstanding. He's 0-2 in Game 7s. Tampa has not played an elimination game since they lost to Columbus two years ago when they That's got swept with the best record. That's crazy to think about. They didn't play so, an elimination so game last year. Last year, they won, they won four rounds in the bubble. They were never put in any game where they could have went home. They were always ahead in every series. This year, they have not played one game where if they lose, they can go home. This will be the first game that Tampa Bay plays since 2019 where they can go home if they lose. So you know what, JJ? I get it. You're defending you're defending cup champs. You're the best team. You're at home. You're gonna be grabbing that stick a little tight because you have not been in this spot in a long time. And they're damn good. They're the best in the biz. But they haven't been in this spot for a while. And guess what how, who they who, who they lost to the last time they were in a game seven in twenty nineteen in uh twenty eighteen, I should say. They lost the Eastern Conference Finals game seven at home. Barry Chots. 
to Barry Trotz. That's right. He was the Capitals. Washington Capital coach, who he then took the Capitals to the final and beat Vegas, a Capital team that never won anything. So, once again, stars aligning, Trotz behind the bench in Tampa for a Game 7 again. Team hasn't been in a spot like this in a while. Hey, you never know. It's just something to think about. They haven't been in a situation like this a lot. I got to say, dude, and we'll leave on this, the environment and the atmosphere in that building. Yeah. The only thing I could equate it to was being at a college game. You know, yep. in my years of being at big games at the Q's, big games on the road, like at a West Virginia or at a UConn or whatever. Just, Mike, it did not feel like, bro, you and I were at a professional conference yeah. final event. And I say that in a complimentary way. Like, I don't say that derogatory. It was fun. It was everybody standing. Everybody knows the chance. Now, you and I were ducking as beer cans are coming well, over our head look, right after all the time. Was, and listen, you, dude, folks bizarre. throwing up. You want to throw up the beer like they did when Tino hit the Grand Slam? I'm cool with that. I'm game with that. It, don't be throwing it, full beer cans when Carver and I are basically ducking under the we ice were. trying not to get hit. That I could not believe. Like, and, and listen, in the moment, you don't really process it because you're so excited. I mean, you're a minute off of an enormous goal that your team wins. The place is going absolutely mad. And then you, then you start getting pelted with cans. And by the way, I mean, I'm telling you, for people who weren't in the building, all those cans you saw on the ice, that was only about 10% of the cans that were actually thrown. Most of them... They were coming our way, bro. Most of them didn't make it. Most of them didn't make it to the ice. They made it on the heads of all the people sitting downstairs in the 100 section. Because people weren't reaching it from upstairs. I don't know what the hell was going on or why they were throwing the beers like that. I'd never seen that, JJ, for a team winning. Anywhere. Islanders, sports, hockey, it doesn't matter. When have you seen a team do that in a win? It was very bizarre. I think it was made a little bit too big of a deal on Thursday. Like, you had all these high and mighties all over the place. Oh, the rowdy, uh, shameful Islander fan throwing beers. And there is an aspect that I do understand people are upset about. They could have hurt the players. I get it. I mean, people were going nuts. I just thought it was bizarre. What are you doing when, a, when throwing full beer cans? And those beers cost $17 at the Coliseum. You got to drink that thing, JJ. Come on. Hey, you aren't getting the complimentary beverages that you and I were experiencing. Wow. Thanks to our guy, we, Justin. We were very who, uh, set up. Who, Justin who did an unbelievable job. Justin, one of the uh, all-time greats. And, Mike, uh, let's just hope that come next week, the good juju that the Isles have provided and that yeah. you and I have maybe provided in the building, we can, <laughs> uh, you know, maybe recreate that. How, how do you like let's, the sound of that? Doing that about a week and a half. I, I, this has kind of been my tact all day here on Thursday because, of course, on Twitter and everywhere else, a lot of conversation with me and, and Islander fans, etc. I'm tabling any conversations. That involved next week until Saturday morning. I like the sound okay? of that. So we're not what about talking Friday, about... What about Friday 11.59 uh, hey, p.m.? Hey, listen. Friday 11.59, if we are, we got a result and we're ready to talk about it, we will talk about it then. But I'm fair tabling enough. all conversations about what could possibly happen. Let's be fair. I mean, JJ, this is massive. This is the biggest game in the Islander franchise history since 1984. Crazy. It just is. They have not played a game of this magnitude... Since they last lost the cup, when they were going for five in a row against the Edmonton Oilers in 1984, they have not played a game of this magnitude, 60 minutes away from going back to the Stanley Cup final. They have not been here since 84. This is a, just a monumental game in the franchise history tomorrow.
Well, bro, best of luck tomorrow. You know where my uh, loyalties lie. I, I hope that we're doing a few well, more listen, of these, bro. Let me and just listen, tell you, that our was loyalties, magic last night. Magic. Our loyalties lie other otherwhere uh, in other places as well, not just. Well, we know that. Uh, uh, we know financially, that. Yes. Our, our loyalties lie in a lot of places too, because uh, we've got twenty-eight to one tickets on the Islanders to win the cup. They may be alive, they may be well. <laughs> I'm Mike Carver, Sports Grid, ILC Pod. Best of luck to you, buddy. Great job, okay? Thanks, JJ. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was... A kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier, thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. I'll tell you this. Was thinking about it right after I left Nassau Coliseum. That's probably a top five all-time sporting event I've attended in my lifetime. Six overtime Syracuse. Game five, 2001, Yankees Diamondbacks World Series. The Larry Johnson four-point play. It's going to be impossible for me to knock any of those three bad boys off the list. Impossible. This Islander game is a top five baby for me. I mean, that environment, the comeback, scoring in overtime. I'm glad I was a part of that. Sometimes when you're in the building, you get a sense, you get a feel. It was one of those nights where, without a doubt, I got a feel. So, sometimes you realize, holy smokes, I'm in a really cool situation. That was me on Wednesday night. Now, speaking of a really cool situation, the Mets right now are in really good shape. Despite everything that's going on with their offense, despite some of the injuries they're having with their pitching staff, you look at the National League East. They got a five-game lead in the loss column on Washington. They got a six-game lead in the loss column on the Philadelphia Phillies. They have an eight-game lead in the loss column over the Atlanta Braves. The Mets splitting that four-game series with the Atlanta Braves, there's nothing wrong with that. That's status quo. That's wiping games off the schedule. But they have the Philadelphia Phillies in town this weekend. I know there are going to be a lot of eyes on DeGrom because of the injury scare from a couple of starts ago. So people are going to be watching that, I think, rather intently. And... I, for one, am trying to figure out who the contender is going to be to challenge this team within the East. You look at the odds over FanDuel Sportsbook, and they're ever-changing for these divisions, the World Series, whatever. The Mets are like minus 450 to win the National League East. On June 25th, that's rather insane. So... I thought all along Atlanta was their biggest threat in the division. I'm starting to have doubts about that, quite frankly. I'm intrigued by Philadelphia this weekend. Philadelphia wants to show me they could be a team at the very least that can challenge for the division. Go take two or three where Walker is going on Friday and then you got DeGrom going on Saturday. 
And then you'll have your old buddy, I think, Wheeler on the mound on Sunday. Wheeler Eikhoff, which is interesting because Eikhoff, former member of the Phillies. Wheeler, of course, a former member of the New York Mets. And as we know, Funkle Stevie Cohen was owning this baseball team at the time Zach Wheeler became a free agent. Zach Will would probably still be a New York Met. So, yeah, the Mets are struggling to score. I like seeing Lindor come to life on Wednesday night. But I'm, like, very cautious in proclaiming that, all right, now Lindor's about to take off and dominate a month because I thought after Saturday's two-homer game against the Nationals, he'd get red hot, and it hasn't happened. So, sooner or later, Lindor is going to get cooking. So, we have all the baseball going on. Isles going on. And then we got basketball to look forward to. And a job well done by the Clippers. How about Reggie Jackson and Patrick Beverly outscoring Chris Paul and Devin Booker? If you had that tonight, go play the lottery. Because you would have cashed in. You would have made a ton of money. And I understand Reggie Jackson's been great in this postseason. How about the story of Beverly, though? Started the first two games. They took him out of the rotation. Now they need him back in the rotation because of the absence of Kawhi Leonard. And Patrick Beverly, dude, I talk about this all the time. Guys, I wish played for me. P.J. Tucker is one of those guys. Patrick Beverly is another. He's a badass. He's chippy. He's going to get you grill. He's not going to be intimidated by you. He's a winning player. He may have his limitations at times on offense, but he is a winning player. I like those sort of dudes with that sort of grit. It fires me up. It gets me going. But the Clippers are alive and well here in this series. Now we'll see if they even it up on Saturday night. I had a feeling the Clippers, with the way they have gotten off the mat in the Dallas series, in the Utah series, they were going to have a moment here in this series. I still don't think it'll be enough to get it done. I like Phoenix to bring it home. Clippers will be heard from, though. The question is, how much noise are they going to make? I think Saturday will tell the tale. We'll give you a play for Milwaukee and Atlanta. That's coming up in a little bit. But voicemail. So you guys wondering how to get in touch with New York, New York. So if you're having a long weekend, if you're having a great weekend, if you're having an average weekend, all are welcome. 917-382-1151. That's 917-382-1151. Chime in. Minute, minute and a half, two minutes. Let it rip. Depending on how good you are will be uh, the determining factor and whether or not Sarudi put you on. So I don't know what to tell you. All right, voicemail time. Busy weekend in New York sports. Final weekend of June. Wow, we've been doing this for three months already. feel like I've been doing it for 10 years, to be honest with you. And that's a good thing, not a bad thing. feel like a chiseled vet in podcast world, you know? Not the pod father, but you know. We're, we're getting there. All right, voicemails. Lead us off. Hey, JJ, Shaw Long Island in the Coliseum parking lot after the uh, huge Game 6 victory. Listen, I know it was your first game. I hope it was everything you wanted and more. I'm in complete shock. I'm the biggest Islander fan there is, but down 2 nothing, I was just kind of staying till the end to say goodbye to the Coliseum to know that they actually came back and won this game in overtime against the favorite Lightning with so much more talent. I'm just so proud of the boys. You know, Game 7, you never know. I'm sure they'll be huge underdogs. But as an Outer fan, 33 years, I'm just so proud. It's the happiest moment of my whole fandom. So I hope you enjoyed it as well, man. Let's go, Islanders. Keep the faith. Game 7, anything could happen. But you know what? Thank you to the Islanders for a wonderful memory. Game 6 here. And let's get this. Let's go to the cup, baby. Hope you enjoy it, JJ. You take care. Bye. 
I love hearing a giddy Sean as opposed to a somber, downtrodden Sean. Sean with a little extra life in his voice is a good thing for everybody. And he nailed the vibe in the mood in the Coliseum when they were down to the nothing. They don't score on that five on three. Tampa comes right back and scores the second goal. I think everybody in the building's like, oh boy. 10 straight unanswered. Lightning and a better team. So imperative the Islanders got one before the end of the second period. They're down 2 nothing going into the third period. I think they're totally cooked. I think that goal kind of gave them that much-needed infusion. They were the better team for my money in the third period, and it came out immediately in the overtime. And it's amazing how these teams have been scoring so quickly in the overtime. Mike Carver hit on it earlier. Saw it in the Vegas-Montreal game. How about Montreal? The odds for them to win this series were significant. They're like plus three, three what, 50, 375, something crazy along those lines. Knocked off Vegas. And Montreal was like 35, 40, 45 to one to win a cup. Nobody was giving Montreal a chance. Now, they're one of two left standing. We'll see if that other team is going to be the New York Islanders. Who's up next? JJ, you know it's your boy James from Oakdale. What a fucking way for you to make an entrance to the barn last night. I mean, it couldn't have gotten any better in the long run. Listen, when they went down 2 nothing, you know I'm very positive all the time. But with the way this series has went and every single game, the team that scores first never gives up the lead, I got a little nervous. But you know what? The boys fought back like they've done all playoffs long. The adversity, the drive, Barry Trotz getting the boys going, it was fucking unbelievable. And I can't wait for tomorrow night. I mean, everything did it. For your first game, how much better could it be? Me, you, Carver, Stu Finer taking photos, you knocking over Borelli's, hitting Borelli with your water. Fucking, it was mayhem in that building. It was a great memory, but I'm not ready for it to end. Just like none of the other Islander fans are ready for this to be over. We'll go in there tomorrow night, game seven, and get that shit done. It's a team of destiny, and the only way this season can end is with Anders Lee skating around that rink one more time, holding up fucking Lord Stanley. Let's get it done, baby. I'll talk to you soon. Later, bro. That's the great James in Oakdale, and he is right about the vibe being just absolute madness in the Nassau Coliseum. So I'll give you a little backstory. The great Stu Finer, who is one of my favorite people on the planet, I ran into Stu. Stu's a big fan of mine. I'm a big fan of his. Real roots real. You know, real respect's real. So I love Stu. I can't get enough. I'm going to see him in Syosset next month, which I'm looking forward to. Pool will be 88, I hope. I mean, if it's 86, I'm going to let him know. So I introduced myself. We know each other through social media and messaging back and forth. He didn't even recognize me. You know, I had the Liberty National hat on. He says I look like I'm 18, 19 years old. That's great. I age well. 15 miles a week running, I guess we'll do that to you. But we're down in the lounge, I guess, between the second and the third period. So I'm getting water because I got to hydrate. My voice is just totally shot. And I'm grabbing a Bud Light. They didn't have much of a beer selection, by the way, at the Coliseum. I guess, you know, limited options. That's the way the Coliseum rolls. So it was like Bud Light. Heineken, Modelo. So I, I said, you know what? I'm at the Coliseum. Let's not get bougie. I'll get a polite. Okay. I'm walking back to the seats. We're getting ready for the third period. And, you know, I'm chatting with Stu. I'm like, Stu, let's go, baby. We need a goal. Ba, ba, ba. Somebody must have, like, grazed against me. And I didn't have the cap on the water bottle because they make you take the cap off. Open the beer. Open the water bottle. They don't want people, you know, smuggling, stealing a bunch of them. 
as I do that, I spill a ton of water on one of the Barstool guys, uh, Borelli. I felt terrible. I mean, I, I'm a klutz to begin with, but it's like, geez, they got a camera going right there. So for anybody who was watching that, you see me stumbling in the stew, boom, water flying all over this poor kid. So yeah, it was madness at the Coliseum. Little did I know it would only be an appetizer for what was to come, which was a game-winning goal in overtime and basically me playing dodge beer to make sure full cans of beer were not going to plunk me right across the head. I survived that. And yes, for anybody wondering, my first ever experience at the Nassau Coliseum lived up to the billing and then some. It was fabulous. Fabulous. I woke up this morning. I was just, dude, out of it. I needed a recovery day. Thursday, I got a much-needed recovery day. So, if I saw you at the Nassau Coliseum at the barn, you know, I called it the Collie. Somebody's like, nobody calls it the Collie, JJ. I'm like, yeah, I know. The barn, the Collie, it's all the same. Hope to be there one more time. Who's up next? Hey, JJ, Chris from Cases. You have to be impressed with the Houston Astros. Right now, they're the best team in baseball. They're playing unbelievable. All that cheating that all these Yankees fans have said and all that, they're probably saying nothing now. They're probably in shock how great they're playing. And just think about it. Um, Verlander, he's not even playing. He might be back at the end of the season. So you had him. It's already pretty good on young rotation. Um, you got veterans, too, veteran hitters. Tucker's been playing great. A pretty good bullpen. So the Astros are going to show the whole world this year that they don't have to cheat to win. And if they get to the World Series, just get to the World Series. All these Yankee fans are just going to eat their words. I won't get your pain on that. Thanks. The Astros have a hell of a team. I've always felt they had a hell of a team. They didn't need to cheat in 2017 or 2019. They're talented. They have a really good manager. I think he's been the perfect guy to come into that situation. And think about what the Astros have lost over the last two years. They lost Garrett Cole and they lost George Springer. Those are two outstanding players. But yet, all the guys have picked up the slack. Look at what Gurriel is doing this year. Since Yankee Stadium, Jose Altuve has been terrific. The Astro pitching has been really, really good. They're a threat. They're a lot better, quite frankly, than what I thought they were going to be. Yeah, I didn't have crazy high expectations for the Astros this year. Brantley's a terrific hitter. Alvarez is really good. Correa's in a contract year. Tucker, and they're doing this with Bregman out. The Astros are legit. Give credit where credit is due. I don't like them. They're playing really good baseball. Who's up next? Hey, JJ. John from uh, Dallas. How about Gary Sanchez, man? Our starting catcher has an OPS north of 1.200 the last 22 games. I repeat, 1.200. The last time a starting catcher, and I got a little stat nugget for you. The last time a starting catcher had that good of an OPS through 22 games, which is basically a little bit more than three weeks when you account for off days. Get this, Jorge Posada back in the late 90s. There has not been a catcher who did what Gary is doing right now since Jorge Posada. I couldn't believe it when I saw it. 
I think this is what Aaron Judge meant when he said this is the guy who can go out and win AL MVP. As much as I think Otani has it under wraps, barring injury, this is the best Gary Sanchez we've ever seen. I want to know what you think about that. Have a good one, JJ. Much love. The turnaround that we have seen from Gary Sanchez is one of the more drastic and one of the more impressive turnarounds I've seen in an individual season in a long, long time. And this is not just coming from me as a Yankee fan. This is coming from just the idea of rooting for an individual because of how maligned and how beleaguered and how beat up Gary Sanchez has been by the fan base. Look, I make no bones about it. I was always a Gary apologist. And my logic for being a Gary apologist was this. Nobody can hit playing the catcher's position. You got a guy who showed you in 2016 and 2017 and in 2019 what he's capable of doing for a full season. So even though he was an embarrassment last year and deserved to be benched last year, I was all in on the idea of bringing him back because I said, makes no point, there's no sense of moving on. The first month and a half, two months of this year, yeah, I was jumping ship. Yeah, I thought he lost it. Yeah, it was more likely he was going to get cut or traded than it was going to be the idea that he'd turn himself back into an all-star. He's put the work in. He shortened his swing. He's eliminated the leg kick. And yeah, look at that OPS. Look at what his numbers are after doing nothing over the first two months of this year. Gary Sanchez in early June was probably hitting around 170, 180. Now he's up above 240. He's got terrific power numbers. He's got the best OPS amongst catchers in all of baseball, basically. He's playing like an all-star. And I'm so happy for the guy because he was left for dead by the Yankee fan base. Dead. I love a good old-fashioned comeback story. I'm a sucker for a good old-fashioned comeback story. The comeback for Gary Sanchez is real and spectacular. The haters are going to say, oh, this is the perfect time to trade him. Trade him on this three-week high. Who's your catcher? Where are you finding a catcher with this sort of production? You keep Ron Gary Sanchez, and the Yankees are going to need Maybe not this version of Gary, because this version of Gary is the guy we saw in 2016. But a competent, quality, power-hitting catcher transforms the entire look and the entire feel of the Yankee lineup. Sanchez hitting, Voigt's return. Yankees look a lot better. They don't look like that feeble offensive bunch we saw earlier in the year. The score runs. I know, what a concept. And hitting the ball out of the ballpark. Who's up next? Hi, JJ. Chris from Kingston. Um, you had a guy, a guest, who covered the Nets and the Yankees like a week ago, and he said the Yankees might be interested in um, Scherzer. But the Nationals are not going to trade Scherzer when they're in the middle of a playoff race. Um, they're going to win today. They're five nothing. They're going to be five hundred. They're the hottest team in baseball. Stratford will, pro- will probably be back shortly. They're not trading him, like I said, if they're a playoff race. So all the Yankee fans are thinking they're going to get Scherzer. Again, they're not going to train if they're going to play operation. Get your pee on that. Chris, I think it is a pipe dream for Yankee fans to suggest, for any fan, for that matter, to suggest. 
that Max Scherzer is going to be a part of that team. I am operating of the mindset that Max Scherzer will not be a Yankee. Either he's going to remain with Washington and we'll see if their resurgence continues. Jury's still out on that. Kyle Schwarber, can't pitch to the guy right now. Or what we're going to see is Max Scherzer will probably get traded elsewhere because I think the Yankees realize full well if Corey Kluber returns and if Luis Severino returns, the need for a frontline starting pitcher is not number one on their shopping list. They desperately need a center fielder. They don't grow on trees. They're tough to come by. The Yankees cannot continue to keep running Brett Gardner out there day after day after day. They need help in the outfield. That's the first order of business for Brian Cashel. When he's making a trade, the Yankees need an athletic, left-handed hitting center fielder. So at this point in time, it will be a pipe dream for anybody dreaming about Max Scherzer. That goes for Yankee and Red Sox fans alike. So, guy knows thing too about the Yankees Red Sox rivalry. He played in it. Now he is calling games and he's doing a radio show up in Boston. He's Mr. New England himself. Lou Merloni will get us ready for the weekend. I like getting a Boston perspective when the Yanks are shipping up that way. And I won't be. In July, I will be. Not this weekend. So, Lou Merloni. He's up next. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. So we got the Yankees and the Red Sox this weekend. The Red Sox have been a pleasant surprise. The Yankees are finally showing some signs of life. And I figured we welcome in a guy who knows this rivalry pretty well. He played it. Now he's killing it over at WEI. My main man, Lou Merloni. What's up, Lou? What's up, JJ? How you doing, man? Lou, I'm doing fine. And, you know, I'm going to start here. Your Red Sox have surprised me so far this year, and I follow you on Twitter. You were pretty confident going into the year. They were going to be better than advertised. They were going to exceed expectations. So we're basically three months into this year. Why, in your opinion, have the Boston Red Sox exceeded expectations? Well, it's kind of tough to talk about now, seeing what the rotation's been the last couple of weeks, but it's been because of the pitching. You know, I I just thought they were going to be a good team. You know, I I didn't think they were going to be a playoff team, but like 87 wins. Even people in Boston thought like, you know, 79, the 70s. And I just, the the pitching had improved, you know, from the year before. The year before the Red Sox, I mean, it was an awful season, but they only, you know, they had a bunch of 4A guys. It wasn't even a big league staff. Thank God it was only 60 games, but the pitching was better. They still had a good lineup. Um, they brought in some guys that, you know, aren't move, really moving the needle in, in Kike and Marwin and, and guys like that. But um, they're guys that had won, you know, Renfro, guys that have been in World Series and and just the Alex Cora factor. So I just I thought they'd be better. They've exceeded expectations, but it has been because of the pitching, even though it's been uh, it's been a rough go over the last few weeks. And my thing, Lou, watching them from afar and I'm not watching them every day like you are. Cora, to me, yeah. makes such a difference, dude. And I know yeah. you know him well, and we know what he was able to do his first year when he was a Red Sox manager. The team went and won the World Series. I get the sense they have taken on the personality of Alex Cora. I noticed that in 2018. 
I've noticed it so far this year. You think Alex Cora is one of those big league managers that's actually, dare I say, worth a couple of wins? Yeah, I do. I do. And you, know, you talk about personality, you know, in 18, kind of coming in with an attitude. And, and I almost feel like it went against him in 19. I almost felt like he was maybe a little overconfident, you know, making comments like you thought last year was special. Wait to see this year. And it looked like a cocky team that wasn't ready to play in 2019. And they struggled. But this year, um, kind of that getting back to the whole, we're going to, we're a good team. We're going to be better than people think. Chip on the shoulder again, some leadership on the bench. Uh, guys that they've brought in and and you know it was such a bad year last year that, that so many of these regulars guys like JD and Endeavors and Bogarts were just so excited to have this guy back again and he relates to them so well that you're absolutely right it's it's his attitude kind of plays well with these guys the sense you get Lou is it more likely the Red Sox get a big infusion from a guy like Sal and they're looking at him as like the trade deadline acquisition come August to September, or when we're talking trade deadline, and I'm looking specifically at the Nationals and Max Scherzer, is there any way you could see the Red Sox making that sort of big move to say, all right, our pitching's a problem. We know we can score a boatload of runs. Let's try and make a big move like that and and make a run at this thing in a wide-open American League? I don't I don't see them going after a guy like Scherzer who's a rental. Um you know, I, I think that, you know, they wanted to get better this year with an eye on the future. And I think they've exceeded expectations. But at the same point, I'm Bloom's come in here and, you know, he's kind of brought in about 13, 14 different prospects in a minor league system in trades last year. And I think he wants to build it the right way. And I just don't think they chase it uh, this year, you know, because I, I do think it's about next year and the year after. So I could see them going after somebody and and being aggressive, maybe with guys with a couple years left and trying to use their financial flexibility to, to, to kind of get a guy with some term left in his deal. But I just, I don't see the rental, you know, at all. And yeah, I'm sure they're counting on sale a little bit, but I don't think you expect him to come out and give you six, seven innings on a given night. I, I think it's three or four innings, you know, and who knows where he's going to be in September. Tanner Houck is a kid down at AAA that I think they're going to get a look at here soon again as well in this rotation. So I don't expect big, splashy, um, you know, short-term rental deals here from the Red Sox. I still think they got the big eye in the future. You guys ready to see a revamped and resurgent New York Yankee team? I think, Lou, you're going to see a much different team than the one you saw in early June, and I'll tell you the biggest reason why. Sanchez is back. I don't know if it's shortening the swing or eliminating the leg kick. This is the guy who tormented pitchers in 2016-2017, and for whatever the reason, even when Gary's been in a total funk, he loves hitting at Fenway Park, dude. Get ready. He's putting yeah. at least one ball over the Green Monster this weekend. Is Boston now, like, taking note on the Yankees getting back into this thing? Or did the expectation of what, you know, the Yankees bring to the table, payroll, lineup, whatever, were you guys always of the mindset they were going to turn this baby around? You know, I've had a lot of fun watching them struggle this year, you know, because I, I did think going into the year, I thought they were overrated. I did. because And you're right about you that. Know, Listen, I, I mean, they, they, their run yeah. differential is barely above plus for that matter. So I think that's a fair take, well, bro. Yeah. And, and, you know, for me, it was like, you know, you, I mean, Cole is Cole. He's an absolute stud. You know, Herman didn't pitch last year. Montgomery hasn't thrown more than, what, 50 pitches, 50 innings since his rookie year. You know, Kluber's coming off a real injury, and now he's hurt again. 
you know, Tyon, you know, he, he had Tommy John. He, so they had four guys that basically hadn't even pitched last year. I just felt like the rotation was really suspect. And, the you know, the athleticism and the offense is boom or bust. But um, by no means, you know, do I think they're out of it. You know, and I think Red Sox fans will start looking at it, say the Yankees come in here, take three out of four. It's like, okay, here we go, right? Two or two, two out of four or whatever. It's sort of like status quo. Or, or if you take the weekend, rather, I should say. Um, so I think the team is going to be better. You talk about Gary Sanchez. I, I always joke about Luke Voigt, you know, like I, I think that he's a huge factor in that lineup and I know maybe he's not having the best of years, but banged up all year long. Oh, but he came back this week, Lou, and he sparks the team, dude. He's got like yeah. that positive energy, man. Like he rallies the troops. He's yeah. a real cool dude. And I've seen that this week and I've seen it this year, quite frankly, when Voigt plays, the Yankees yeah. are a better team. You're so right about that. Yeah. And I always talk about how I hate Luke Voigt, you know, because uh, I don't know if it's like, I think it's Wait, the uniform doesn't fit him, bro. You used to see the uniform uh, fit a guy, bro. Uniform don't fit him. Well, you know, I, why, you know, it's like always, it's like, you know, rather than like one button undone, he's like a three or four button guy. You know what I mean? And sometimes when he does it without the t-shirt underneath, he's sort of like, it's a little bit much for me, you know, but I don't take it away from the Duke can hit. There's no question about it. He makes a big difference in that lineup. You play with Aaron Boone. Did you ever see Aaron Boone? Big league manager, or was it impossible to tell when you're in a big league clubhouse? You know, um, I was with him in Cleveland, and and during the game, he would do like the play-by-play in color of the game that's actually going on. And so I always felt like he was just going to be in a booth. You know, he was just going to be in the media. Like I always felt that Booney was going to be a media guy, you know, because that just seemed like it was him. And, um, you know, I'm happy for him to get that opportunity. I think he's, you know, and I don't know, I, like you said, I don't follow it every single day. Personally, I think he's taking a lot of heat that maybe Cashman should be taking, to be honest with you. But he's a good man. So I, I, you know, I wish him well, just not against the Red Sox. You play in this rivalry, and Lou, back in you know the late 90s, early 2000s, for my money, maybe it's my coming of years ages, but I don't care. The hell with the 70s, yeah. the hell with whatever. That's the peak of Yankees, Red Sox, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. The teams didn't like one another. The fans didn't like one another. The players didn't like one another. Now you're covering it from afar. Does it, like, feel just not the same, dude? Like, you're getting ready for Yank Sox. It's great and all. Don't get me wrong. But I feel like it's never going to come close to what we had in that late 90s period, early 2000s period, you know? It, I, I don't. I agree with you, JJ. It's never going to be the same. And for the simple reason that the Red Sox hadn't won a World Series. You know what I mean? And in 04, so much changed in this market. So much change in that rivalry as you got further down that road, 08, 09. And then lately it's sort of like, ah, eh, it's still the Yankees. And you still, you know, Red Sox fans hate the Yankees. Yankees hate the Red Sox. I get it. But um, that was like core versus core. You know what I mean? That, that was the Yankee core in the late 90s, staying together, being just this dominant team and bringing in Messina, bringing in Clemens, bringing in Randy. And every year you're like, Jesus, you keep bringing them in. And, we knew you had to go through those guys, but they keep getting better. And then all of a sudden here came, you know, Nomar and Manny and Pedro and Derek Lowe and, and Trot Nixon. And it just sort of felt like, you know, Johnny Damon, Kevin Millar. And it sort of felt like, okay, there was this like core being built as well. And um, there was just every single year you saw the same guys and you just really started to dislike each other on the field. I mean, in a, in a professional manner, I think, you, you know, there was a lot of respect, but just everything that was online, you know, the Red Sox, we hadn't won. My last year was 03. I'm still not over it. You know, I'm still pissed off about it. But, uh, no, that was special. And I agree with that. I don't think it'll ever be the same like that. 03, 04, those two years are ridiculous. 
you're involved with and you're playing in that game seven with Pedro on the mound and he's losing steam. The ball is over the head of Trot Nixon. To me, it's a ball that Trot catches, I don't know, 90, 95% of the time. When you in the dugout, like Ansi say, man, we got it. We got to get to Embry. We can't let Matsui face Pedro or because he's Pedro Martinez, Lou, you got to let him lose that game. How did you feel being a part of that? Um, I think a lot of us, you know, wondering why he wasn't coming out of the game. Fair you enough. Know, I um, mean, I felt the same way know. being there, dude. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, felt the be- same way. I mean, Petey had all he was always said this thing that you know when he walked off the field, he kind of would always point up, and I felt like he kind of did that, you know. And then we sent him back out for another inning, and um, you know, and, and he and he was he was o two one two ahead of probably every single hitter he faced that inning, but he couldn't put him away, and it was because it was just. It was, you know, when you play those games, man, seven innings, six, seven innings is such a mental grind, especially against those lineups that, you know, mentally after like six, seven innings, you're like, dude, I'm just done. And, you know, the, the whole the backstory is that Grady Little was on his last year of his deal. He didn't get extended. And I think Grady was just like, listen, I'm running. my, I'm, If I'm going to lose this, I'm, if it's my last game as a manager. I'm going to lose it with that guy in the mound. But, you know, guys like Embry, guys like Timlin, guys like uh, – um, we had another righty out there, too. Uh, Williamson, who was Red. closing. And Williamson. he pitched well in that series, too. He pitched well. Oh, those guys were so dominant for us in the postseason that we just felt like just go to them. You know, we got this lead. We felt pretty good about it. But um, I still – I love Grady Little. I mean, I wasn't happy maybe that night and obviously the way it turned out. But um, that was a tough one. No question about it. Did you get the sense, Lou, 2003, you guys were a much better team than the 99 team? 99, it felt like, you know, the Yankees were in the middle of that, like, insane run. 01, they lose the World Series. 02, they lose to the Angels. And I remember, Lou, you guys played a series. It was like 4th of July weekend in 03. And you guys beat the crap out of Wells and Clemens. And this is when David Ortiz was not a household name. And then you're just looking at these guys on the socks. I'm like, holy shit, this team can mash they are a problem. Like, that was the moment for me. I looked at the Red Sox, and I was like, this team is no joke. I'm not looking forward to a playoff series. Did you get the sense because of the lineup, your 0-3 team was a lot better than 99? Yeah, yeah, and it was well-rounded. I mean, Petey was unbelievable. Pedro was great in 99, but, you know, the presence of David Ortiz now in the middle of that lineup just really changed everything in 0-3. You know, Trot was having a great year Tech, and it was just – and Millar was in the house. It was just – um it was just a different animal, you know, Johnny Damon. So it was like, uh, yeah, better than 99. You know, I don't know if you kind of always feel like you're better than the other team, but you kind of knew what the Yankees were on the other side. But it was just, it, it, I don't know. It, like I said, there was so much in Boston, right? You hadn't won in 86 damn years, 85 years then. And it was just every year, it was just the pressure was kind of building to get it done. And you just felt like you were that close. You have a favorite Yanks Sox game you were a part of? Man, I, I tell you, this, it, it's kind of tough to top the chaos at Fenway Park. Um, Clemens, you know, brushing back Pedro. I think that might have been Pedro with the Kareem Garcia. Brushing back Manny. And then throwing you know, Don Zimmer down, Lou. I mean, holy great, moly, I mean, bro. The, Crazy. The great Don Zimmer, like, running out in the field and kind of in the middle of the infield. And all of a sudden, the chaos behind you, not knowing what the hell went on. And and seeing Zim on the mound, on the ground, you're like, wait, what the hell just happened here, right? So, like, that. That game was was tough, and I, you know, everybody felt so bad for Zim. I mean, everybody respect. I remember talking to him even after the game in the runway or the next day, and and he was almost like, "I'm sorry, that's not me." And he almost like apologized, and we're like, "Dude, are you kidding me? That's why we love you." And we're in Boston, you know what I mean? Everybody loves Zim, you know. So, love that guy. And and but that game, that game was crazy. It's almost like our hitters were sitting around waiting 
for Roger to hit somebody. And he had different intentions. You know, he's like, yeah, you keep waiting for that. I'm just going to keep getting you out. And that's basically what happened. Final one. And I grew up watching those games, living and dying in every pitch like I do now. But those are the glory years for me, Lou. I don't think there's any doubt. Yeah. I miss the idea of the athleticism in baseball. That's why it seemed like the Padres, to me, is so much fun to watch. They are stealing yep. bases. They go first to third. They got athletes go all over the field. As a guy who played in the late 90s, early 2000s, now you're doing a radio show day in and day out. The changes that you've seen within baseball, how much did it piss you off? Yeah, it's it's you know the whole offensive approach and now what's going on with pitching, having a better idea of maybe why it was like a two outcome kind of approach. It's that's what kind of really makes it tough. You know, the shifts, they don't bother me. I wish they would kind of change it a little bit and guys need to adapt. But, you know, the, the, the pitching, there's so much power in the game. The stuff is so incredible. Maybe now you get an idea why. But um, the whole offensive approach, watching hitters, the way they go about it and the game is just changing. It's, it is so different. Now, listen. In the late 90s, we had our own issues, right? Like, we kind of saw what was going on in the game at the time, too, in the early 2000s, and nothing was really done about it. But, um, yeah, it's different. I do like the fact that there seems to be, you know, there's, there's definitely more acceptance in just allowing people to have fun. You know, I mean, we're seeing it in home runs that would, you know, trots that would never be acceptable, you know, maybe a few years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. And, and I like the fact that, They've made some changes. I like the extra innings. I like the guy on second. I like guys celebrating when they hit home runs. So that part of it is fun. And maybe they can figure out this offensive part of it. Ton of fun, bro. Always love catching up. Uh, I'm bummed I'm not going to be up there this weekend. I mean, there's nothing like Yankee. I don't care if it's not the same, dude. Yankees, Red Sox, packed house, Fenway Park. I'll have some serious FOMO watching this weekend. But hopefully, Lou Maloney, we're catching up in July. Thanks for a couple minutes, all right? Yeah, you got it. And it's Dustin Pedroia Appreciation Night. He'll be there Friday to kick uh, off the You know, weekend. and I'll so say this, Lou. As a guy rooted against the Red Sox like crazy, he's one of my favorite Red Sox players, dude. That guy was a badass. He, The biggest compliment I could give a guy like Petey is that he could have played for my team any day of the week. That guy was yeah. a warrior, dude. Yep. Warrior. Oh, uh, He's a gamer. No question. He'll be deserved Friday night. But uh, it should be a fun weekend, man. Should be a good one. Hey, anytime. Catch up anytime, brother. So, set the stage for this weekend. Yank Sox, amazing theater. Not what it was, but a very important series for the Yankees. They need two out of three. You got to start closing the gap. You need two out of three. For the Mets, you hold serve, win two out of three. Keep growing that lead in the National League East. You're in great, great shape. Islanders game seven against Tampa, enough said. In case you were wondering about the betting line, and I know many of you are probably wondering, all right, Islanders, to win game seven, on the road in Tampa. What am I looking at here? The Islanders, or a dog as we know, Islanders basically get them at plus 150, 155 over a FanDuel Sportsbook. All the money in the world coming in on Tampa. Right now, the bet count, basically a 50-50 split. The beauty of this particular game, I am my Isles series price. I already hit plus one and a half games, and we're letting it ride. Obviously letting it ride. Islanders, I think at like plus 200 or right around there. Maybe it's 180, 190 to go and get it done. I'm not going to take them plus 150 when I already have that. As far as the basketball for tomorrow, game two, Hawks, Bucks. You know, I was thinking about this. There's no team over the last two and a half, three weeks that has cost me more than Atlanta. 
Not even in a Knicks series. The Philly series, game four, game five, game seven. Yikes. That's all I'm going to say, folks. Yikes. So I want my vengeance. You got to think this is a big get-right spot for the Milwaukee Bucks. Atlanta got their game. Milwaukee's at home. They desperately need to win this game. Imagine if Milwaukee goes down 0-2 and they got to go back to Atlanta. Then the prospect of the Atlanta Hawks winning the Eastern Conference becomes even more of a reality. I think they'll do a better job on Young. I think you will get a big night from some of those supporting players for the Bucs who maybe didn't bring it to the best of their ability in game one. And I like Milwaukee to cover seven and a half. So I'm taking Milwaukee covering the seven and a half. We're going to say a prayer with our Islanders series bet. And in case you're wondering about Yankees-Red Sox, which I don't normally love the idea of getting involved in betting baseball on a day-in and day-out basis, but you know, you get some big games on a schedule. You see them, you circle them, you go from there. Don't like the way the line is moving right out of the gate. Went from 133 to 130. So some Boston short money is coming in. That is a stay away for me. I won't go anywhere near the Yankees and the Red Sox to kick this weekend off. Jeff Money is in the house. Jeff Money has been hotter than I have been. So he's got that going for him. wonder what's on his Friday card. What up, JJ? Jeff Money here with a handicap of picks. It's going to be for tomorrow, Friday the 25th. I'm going to pick the one NBA game. I'm going to go back with the Atlanta Hawks now. They're plus seven and a half. They only went down a half a point from game one. I still think the line is too high. They're, giving, they're not giving them respect. You know, They won the first game. I thought, if anything, the line was going to go down a little bit more, but it just didn't. So if they're going to keep it up there, I'm still going to go back with the Hawks. So I'm taking the Hawks plus the seven and a half. All right, J.J., I'm out of here. Let's go. Well, Jeff Money, it was nice that we hit a family play with the Los Angeles Clippers. That was a beautiful, beautiful thing. We hit that in game two, hit it again in game three. We do not have a family play here, but considering the track record I have in betting against the Atlanta Hawks, we might be in some really, really good shape. So, little programming note. We will have a live Spotify green room show after Isles game seven and after Yankees, Red Sox, and Mets, Phillies. Download the Spotify Green Room app. You could do so on your phone. Very easy to do. We're going to be live after those games. You can call in. We interact. We have some fun. We have a few laughs. We're doing that tomorrow night. And it's one of those things, people have asked me about this. We're not posting it. We're not posting this one. So you want to be there for it. You want to be there right after the game. Maybe you're celebrating. Maybe you're commiserating. I don't know. But we're doing a Spotify green room tomorrow night after all the action. Then we're back with a Sunday pod recapping Isles, Yankees, Red Sox, Mets, Phillies, all the NBA. We got you covered there. Voicemails, you know where to leave them. And that's your weekend, folks. Enjoy it. The last weekend of June. Hard to believe. Fellas, job well done. JJ signing off. Be good, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. 
You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday. I'm still sleeping. I also like Ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side by side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.